0: Section 5 of The House of Love. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Read by Christina Docherty. The House of Love by Elizabeth Cheney. Chapter 5: The Conspiracy. Aurelia's punishment was not at all in proportion to her offense. It consisted in her having to wear the hated red dress all day for three days. But she wore it so proudly that self-approbation quite counterbalanced the moral effects of her confession. For several days she continued stubbornly indifferent to her studies, in spite of the most patient efforts of Doris and, to share her own enthusiasm for book learning. But she was evidently growing fond of Doris, although at times her temper blazed and her sharp little tongue inflicted wasp-like stings that brought a flush and tears to the averted face of the orphan. Miss Turner realized the difficulties under which Doris labored, and while she did not dare to manifest a direct interest in the child, and Doris, of course, never took any part in the recitations, she managed to send a note by Kelsey Starr to her silent pupil, which assured her of her sympathy and appreciation. At last, the ingenuity of Doris triumphed over Aurelia's indifference, and Miss Turner received an almost paralyzing surprise in the shape of a perfect lesson in United States history history arithmetic, and geography. By a little adroit questioning, it developed that a set of paper dolls had been acting the drama of Pocahontas, the costumes of the Indians being particularly effective and consisting largely of chicken feathers and paint, that the arithmetic, like the old-fashioned pill, had been concealed in a marmalade of the fun of attending a thrilling shopping tour to New York with two purses filled with colored beads, that a very neat little map of the Western Hemisphere had been decoyed from Aurelia's sluggish fingers by the allurement of making very blue lakes and oceans and a gorgeous rainbow of land divisions. Mrs. Wilde looked on day after day with constant irritation that so much of her small handmaiden's time was spent out of the treadmill of the kitchen, but she must not offend the private governess, and Aurelia was certainly growing more endurable to live with. Then, too, Mrs. Wilde did not for a moment realize what Doris was getting out of Miss Turner's method, as the latter maintained so distant an attitude to her young assistant as to disarm the mother's jealousy. After a few weeks, another good friend was raised up for the lonely child. In all the region of South Farms, the person who did not habitually attend church was considered a suspicious character, and Mrs. Wild, anxious to keep up appearances, not so much for herself and Thaddeus as for that glowing and mysterious future of Aurelia's, always mustered her immediate household on Sunday morning and drove in the three-seated covered wagon to Waverly Ridge, where they occupied a rear pew in St. Margaret's. She enjoyed seeing the Archers, the Murrays, the Morrisons, and Courtney's, and their guests. She gathered ideas for Aurelia's clothes and invariably planned a wedding for her beautiful and accomplished daughter sometimes a yellow, again a green and white, oftener a pink wedding, with herself in a magnificent satin gown, and Thaddeus fresh from the Kent barber in the bravery of a Prince Albert coat and white kid gloves. Never had such a bride graced the chancel of St. Margaret's, and the bridegroom would be dignified, stalwart, handsome, and rich beyond account. Sometime Dr. Austin must come back to the old manor house, and Anne Waverley's son Robert would marry, and the beautiful old rooms would be again gay with music and merriment. Thaddeus, always accustomed to the stir of an out-of-door life, invariably went to sleep during the service. Grandma Lane extracted a vague comfort from the sermon and two peppermint drops, with which she was ever provided. Aurelia really fidgeted with her pocket handkerchief, and Kelsey indulged in mental arguments against the positions taken by the clergyman. On the first Sunday that Doris made her appearance in St. Margaret's, she had enjoyed every minute of the drive from the farm between the snowy fields and past the occasional homesteads that were within lamp-like distance of each other. The entrance into Waverly Ridge had given her an unaccountable sense of suffocating pleasure. The wide, wide street, the giant, leafless, snow-decked elms, the manor house looming gray and gloomily shuttered behind its lawns and hedges, the broad, cheery, lace-hung windows, and roomy piazzas of the other houses Even the paths between walls of snow on the generous sidewalks appealed to her imagination as nothing had ever done before. She felt as if she had lived and loved and belonged there, as if she had always seen the sun blazing on the gilded cross above the facade of St. Margaret's exquisite stone church. And now, as she entered the richly dim little Gothic structure, and heard the soft undertone of the organ. She seemed to fit into the surroundings. Holy, holy, holy All the saints adore thee Casting down their golden crowns Around the glassy sea The spirit of Doris mounted on white wings, far above the consciousness of her stiff, ugly felt hat, with its plain band of ribbon, Aurelia's cast-off everyday coat the previous winter, too tight in the armholes for looks or comfort, and the rough woolen gloves that irritated her chapped hands. Her mother seemed very near. The house of love was folding them both in its eternal security and peace. Dara sang a sweet, true, natural alto, so sweet in fact, that Miss Annette Graves, the postmistress from the corners who sat in front of the wilds, glanced over her shoulder to see from whom the voice proceeded. Miss Graves had been the leading soprano for years in the congregational choir in Kent, and as time went on, and she did not hear herself as others heard her, she had been subjected to the sort of strategy that disposes of an undesirable incumbent by bringing about a seemingly voluntary resignation. A chorus choir of young people were to replace the old quartet, Miss Graves retired amid the splendor of a surprise party and a plated silver tea service. The chorus choir did not give satisfaction and a month or two later saw a new quartet installed with the oldest deacon's pink and white granddaughter as soprano. Perhaps a prouder, less sensitive nature could have sat in the congregation, joined in the hymns heartily and never seemed to wince, but Miss Graves had turned her horse's head on Sundays toward Waverley Ridge until she could gather strength to literally face the music. Thus it was that, on the first Sunday that Doris attended St. Margaret's, Miss Graves heard that plaintive silvery alto that made her turn halfway around in her pew. Aurelia was radiant in a new blue velvet hat and coat to match, but she could not sing a note and Mrs. Wilde's quick jealousy flamed up, and she gave Doris an almost savage nudge with her elbow and an irate glance, so that the tuneful notes ended abruptly, and Miss Graves, looking again, saw downcast lids and a trembling lip. She had heard of the coming of the little orphan girl to the Wilds, and she had long known the attitude of Mrs. Wilde toward Aurelia. She knew that she had unwittingly been the cause of the rebuff to the child, and her kind heart prompted her to some long, long thoughts as the service proceeded. When the congregation sat down at the close of the hymn, Doris was still struggling with the lump in her throat. She had been so happy a few moments before. Surely in the house of love one ought to be able to praise God. She looked longingly at the double row of surpliced children whose clear voices had rung out in the processional and the anthem. She had already looked up in the hymnal the number of the next hymn on the bulletin board. It was one that her mother had taught her and they had often sung it together, soprano and alto. She loved it best of all the hymns and now she would have to sit silent and suppressed. And you live in the house of love. Something seemed to whisper tauntingly in her ear. She clung desperately to the thought that had saved her from despair. Yes, I do, I do. But perhaps it's the cellar, and it is sort of dark and cold, and there must be an upstairs. Oh, I know how it is, she thought, and her throat relaxed and her face brightened. I must go up the long stairs myself, one step at a time. The stairs are love, and every time I do not hate back, I go up one step, and when I wash the dishes the very cleanest I can, I go up another step, and if I get angry, I go back several steps. Perhaps if I try very hard, I will get up in the sunshine where I can sing all I like. Mrs. Wilde was intently studying the velvet bow on young Mrs. Waverley Archer's hat. Thaddeus had settled down in the aisle end of the pew, and Grandma Lane had taken her first nibble of peppermint lozenge, when Kelsey Starr, who sat between Mr. Wilde and Doris, hit one foot surreptitiously against her shoe, and, as she looked up, cast a swift glance at the floor near Mrs. Wilde on the other side of Doris. "'She dropped her eyes in the direction indicated "'and under the edge of the kneeling board "'beheld the bright black optics of a little gray mouse. "'As she watched, it glided softly under the folds "'of Mrs. Wilde's best serge gown. "'It was well known in the household "'that although Mrs. Wilde had broken more than one colt, "'had caught an intruding bat in her hands,' and had driven alone after the doctor in the middle of the night without a tremor, she had a terror of mice alive or dead. When this mouse disappeared, Kelsey fixed his eyes on a stained-glass prophet in a red robe, set his teeth hard, clenched a hymn book, and shook inwardly. Doris felt the vibrations, bit her lip, and almost stopped breathing in her anxiety. Mrs. Wilde moved her feet uneasily, at the same time glancing down to note if Aurelia's were touching hers. But that young person's smart russet boots were firmly supported by the back of the next pew. At the same moment, the tiny invader fled along the footboard past the unsuspecting Grandma and went, Whither? It was a side pew with the far end close up against the wall. Mrs. Wilde's substantial frame trembled with a suppressed shriek. She turned pale and cold. Where was that mouse? Where might it not be any moment? It could not get out without returning to the aisle and passing, but would it pass her? She arose, brushed past Doris, Kelsey, and her husband, and reached the door, her heart thumping like that of a fugitive slave with bloodhounds in the rear. Thaddeus, supposing that his wife was ill, dutifully took his hat and overcoat and followed her out. She was standing on the outside steps. "'What did you come out for?' she said tartly to Thaddeus. "'Thought something was wrong with you, Gail.' It had been several years since he had called her by her first name, but many people are so conservative that a thorn in the side would be parted with reluctantly, provided they had had it some time. And to Thaddeus there was something altogether revolutionary in the thought of anything happening to his wife, who seemed made of iron and steel. "'It was very hot in the church,' she said, a little more gently. "'I won't go back. Suppose we take a drive over to Westbrook.' It ain't far, and I've been wanting to see the new Matheson house. They went on in silence for a time, Abigail sharing the front seat with her husband. She stole a look at him and noted that he was getting a bit gray. He wasn't such a rough-looking man, after all, fresh-shaven and in his Sunday coat, and he had built up a good business and was well-respected and he had been very kind to her when they were first married. Probably he always would have been kind in his clumsy way if she had not been so bitter and discontented. He took her and her mother when they were penniless and gave them a good home and enough to eat and to wear. To be sure, she had done her part toward their success, but he had worked hard too, early and late, and she had treated him as if he were the hired man. Doubtless, he would have been glad of a little affection, but she had given him none, and had kept the child from him, too. Who was she to have married a fairy prince? Thaddeus, she said, what do you make of that Avery girl? Why, I really can't say, Gail. There's something awfully queer about her. Sometimes I think I almost hate her and those big gray eyes of hers. And I try to make it hard for her, too. You know, I hit her once, but I just don't want any human being to look at me as she did. Not like a human being, it wasn't, but as if her dead mother was looking right through her eyes. Seems to me there's something all around her, and I can't get at her. Then really's getting so she wants her with her all the time. And I must say that really hasn't sent back her breakfast tray in several days and is it near so snappish as she was? Well, I shut her up in church anyhow, the little upstart, attracting attention to her singing. I declare, Thaddeus, I believe I'm getting nerves, but that child makes me so uncomfortable that I'm mad enough to cry. She makes me somehow out of sorts with myself. Yes, when I see a lonesome little critter like that, "'replied Thaddeus, slowly, always with a pleasant word for everybody. "'I think it's a pity that she has to do it all. "'I really look forward to hearing her say, "'Good morning, Mr. Wild. "'I don't like to go out till I've heard it. "'Oh, Thad, do you care like that? "'And I ain't scarcely noticed you for years. "'In fact, I haven't never treated you halfway decent.' And for the first time in all their married life, Abigail laid one of her capable hands over on the toil-hardened ones that held the reins. To be sure, it wasn't a very romantic caress, as the gray woolen gloves of Thaddeus were not an attractive object even to the eye of love, but to the starved and obliterated man it had in it a thrill of hope of better days that did not require a background of moonlit nights "'and nightingales to make very real and precious. Gal, he said, choking a little, "'I don't believe a fellow ever was more set on a girl "'than I was on having you. "'I oughtn't to have cornered you "'when you were down and out. "'It wasn't right. "'You were heaps too smart and handsome for me. "'But I loved you. "'I did indeed, Gal. "'And if you could have loved me even a little, "'I think we might have been quite happy.' "'I think we'd get on better if you took more interest in Relia,' said Mrs. Wilde, congealing perceptively. "'Land of liberty!' ejaculated Thaddeus. "'I ain't never been allowed to touch that piece of chinyware with a ten-foot pole. "'You know, Gail, that I don't approve of putting all these highfalutin ideas into the child's head. "'If you ever succeed in boosting her up to the top, she'll have no more use for them that's raised her.' "'She'll be no comfort to her mother. "'Her father ain't never took none yet with her.' "'I don't care,' said Abigail doggedly, "'if she never speaks to us again, "'once she's where she belongs "'and where she's going to be, too. "'If I can see her in her own automobile "'with a fur coat down to her heels, "'and I was going to say diamonds in her ears, "'but I notice the Waverly Ridge people "'never wear their diamonds in the daytime.' I don't care if she passes us on the road and never sees us. We could see her, all right. The subject was a root of bitterness, and the two relapsed into silence. Nevertheless, the love that the little girl under the roof was sending out day by day had gently touched them both with its tender but potent influence. For a moment, their hearts had softened and gone out toward each other, And as they drove back toward the church, life was not quite the same, not altogether so grim and cold. In the meantime, Doris, freed from the unfriendly proximity of Mrs. Wild, had an opportunity during the sermon to recover from her painful struggle with unseemly mirth and to regain a peaceful mood. And when the last hymn was announced, she realized that she was at liberty to join in the singing which she did quietly, but with all her heart. The king of love, my shepherd, is whose goodness faileth never. Graves stopped singing to listen. It was not a strong voice, but had a wonderful quality, so clear, plaintive, exquisite, that it sounded amid the commonplace strains of the congregation like a priceless violin played to the accompaniment of a parlor organ. And nearby stood the organist's little wife, who could not sing herself, but adored her husband as a sort of inglorious Beethoven. That very morning, had he not improvised the offertory organ solo, and was it not far better than many in the book? She also cast a swift, backward glance and exchanged a look of understanding with Miss Graves. Consequently, when the service had concluded, Miss Graves greeted Grandma Lane and Aurelia, for she knew everybody and then held out a kindly hand to Doris, with a clasp so warm and a look of such sincere personal interest that the child's heart drank in the unspoken friendliness as a flower the dew of heaven. Then Miss Graves turned and went across the aisle for a confab with Mrs. Meldon, the organist's wife. Quite unusual, wasn't it? said Miss Graves. Lovely, replied Mrs. Meldon. "'I must speak to Mr. Meldon. "'He needs just such a voice in the junior choir. "'What a pity she isn't a bit pretty, is she?' "'I don't know about that,' said Miss Graves. "'When you look right into her eyes, she's beautiful. "'It's an awful shame for Thad, "'Wild's wife, to be riding roughshod over that dear child. "'But my, what a picture that little Aurelia Wild is growing to be.' Said Mrs. Meldon's younger sister, who was studying art in the New Haven and had run up for a weekend, according to an occasional impulse. I wonder if I can have a try at her portrait. One rarely meets with such features and coloring. Whereupon Mrs. Annette Graves had an inspiration, and one that detained her in earnest conversation with these ladies and Mr. Meldon, who had joined the group until all the other people had gone and the sexton stood waiting to lock up the church. Consequently, in the middle of the week, Mrs. Wilde was electrified by the sight of the Meldon sleigh drawing up to the front gate, with Mrs. Meldon and Miss Graves snugly ensconced in the bearskin rugs. Mrs. Meldon had been an archer on her mother's side before her marriage and was therefore entitled to a firm seat on one of the upper branches of the Waverley Tree. Her husband was the treasurer of one of the largest manufacturing firms in Kent. As a happy side issue in his busy life, he played the organ and directed the choir at St. Margaret's. Mrs. Wilde only knew the Meldons by sight as belonging to the elect who breathed the rarefied atmosphere of the rich society, and her heart beat rapidly as she sent Doris to wrestle with the seldom-used lock of the front door, while she, herself, gave a look into the small mirror by the kitchen sink, glad of her clean linen collar and her neatly brushed hair. Doris could not turn the key in the rusty lock, And Mrs. Wilde came to her assistance, frowning impatiently and pushing her away so savagely that she tripped over the mat and fell, hitting her forehead on a corner of the front stair with considerable force. Just as she fell, the doorbell rang. Mrs. Wilde did not realize that Doris was slightly stunned for a moment, but expecting her to rise instantly, applied her muscular hands to the doorknob and key with such force that the door yielded suddenly and the visitors beheld the little girl in the act of getting to her feet customary formalities were omitted and miss graves involuntarily sprang forward to the help of doris but mrs Wild anticipated the action and half carried the child along to the kitchen to grandma lane saying loudly mar doris has bumped her head but not bad Just put some brown paper wet with vinegar on the place. Then she returned to the frosty hall, shutting the kitchen door behind her. It had only been a moment and she said to the ladies, Please walk right in this way to the sitting room. We don't keep our parlor warmed up in winter, for it's a north room. Be seated, ladies. She was smiling strenuously, but was furiously angry underneath. "'I hope the little girl is not much hurt,' said Mrs. Meldon graciously. "'Oh, no,' said Mrs. Wilde. "'She tripped over the mat. "'She's a very clumsy child, not light on her feet like some.' "'We have come,' said Mrs. Meldon, "'to call on you and tell you that my sister, Miss Holcomb, who is an artist,' A portrait painter in New Haven has been very much attracted by your little daughter and wishes me to inquire if she may have the privilege of making a portrait of her for the special art exhibition of next summer. A sudden, sharp, hungry gleam leaped to Abigail Wilde's eyes. The never-sleeping tiger of her ambition was ever crouching for a spring at its coveted prey, but she seemed to hesitate "'and tried to appear indifferent. "'Well... "'I don't know,' she said slowly, "'although her pulses were beating so fast "'that her tongue seemed ready to slip its leash of discretion "'and race along in mad delight. "'I heard it's pretty expensive, ain't it?' "'Oh, this will cost you nothing at all, Mrs. Wild. "'My sister often comes up on Friday nights "'to spend the Sunday with us.' I'm her only sister, you know, and she just loves our home life and the children. You would only have the trouble of sending your daughter up to our house early on Saturday afternoons. Of course, it will take several months. We will send her down to the corners at 5 o'clock, as Mr. Meldon goes to New York every Saturday morning and comes back on the express that gets here at 5.50, and the man drives down to meet him mr Meldon always gets back in time for the quartet rehearsal Saturday nights. The junior choir rehearses at three thirty on Saturday afternoons. Miss Gladys Courtney attends to that for him. She is so musical, you know. Will Relia really, have to be very much dressed? inquired her mother, still trying to subdue the eagerness that was throbbing from head to foot. Oh, no, replied mrs Meldon. Just a simple white dress is best you know her hair is so beautiful that it would be a pity to divide the effect Mrs Meldon's hired man can leave Aurelia at my house Mrs Wilde for you know I'm always home when Silas and Pepper bring the mailbag said Miss Graves as if trying to forestall a possible objection well i suppose she can go all right only there's one thing about it Mrs Meldon If we ain't grand and stylish, we are pretty independent, and I don't like taking favors I can't return. And of course, it is a favor having my daughter painted for an exhibition. You needn't worry at all about that, Mrs. Wilde. You see, my sister hopes to do such a fine piece of work that it will bring her in a number of profitable orders. So it's about even, after all. However, there is one thing that you can do for us all, Mrs. Wilde, and something that we will appreciate very highly. Well, you may be sure, Mrs. Meldon, that anything in my power is yours to command. It is simply this: you have a little girl living in your family who has a remarkably sweet voice, and Mr. Meldon would like it very much if she can join the junior choir. "'and come to the Saturday rehearsals "'to practice for our Sunday morning service.' "'Mrs. Wilde grew suddenly black in the face, "'and Mrs. Meldon hastened to add, "'Of course we will consider your kindness in this respect "'as more than an offset to anything my sister can do for your daughter.' "'I don't very well see how I can spare her,' said Abigail hoarsely, she came here to help me with the housework and to wait on Relia. Saturday afternoon's a busy time in most families, and we ain't any exception. As it is, she loses a lot of time from the work just because Relia won't study or play much without her. Miss Turner realizes that Relia ain't ordinary, and says it's better for somebody to take hold of her lesson with her. Mr. Meldon and Miss Courtney are both very anxious, Mrs. Wilde. In fact, the entire music committee of St. Margaret's will be indebted to you. My sister is so interested in Mr. Meldon's work that she said to me just before she took the train Monday morning, Please be sure to say to that little girl's mother that I will take my pay out in the loan of the other child for Robert's choir. But you see, Mrs. Meldon, continued the disconcerted Abigail. "'Doris Avery hasn't been with us many weeks, "'and she came with almost nothing in the shape of clothes, "'and I haven't had much time to fix her up. "'She hasn't got good enough things to be standing up "'where everybody can see her.' "'You forget, Mrs. Wild,' interposed Mrs. Graves, "'that this is the beauty of having surplices for the choir. "'Every child is dressed exactly alike.' "'Abigail longed to refuse.' But if she did not allow Doris to go, then she could not with any face at all send Aurelia to the Meldons' house. It was not alone the thought of the portrait that allured her, but the introduction of Aurelia into one of the Ridge families thus early in her career, for who could tell in time what other doors might open to her idol? "'I wonder how the little girl is feeling by this time,' inquired Mrs. Meldon. It was a pretty heavy fall. For the sake of appearances, Mrs. Wilde rose, saying, I'll go and see. I left her with my mother. She disappeared into the kitchen, and Miss Graves looked at Mrs. Meldon, moving her lips but not speaking audibly. She knocked that child down herself. Mrs. Meldon lifted her eyebrows and nodded affirmatively. Abigail returned immediately, leading Aurelia. "'Radiant in the favorite light blue cashmere "'and a dainty white apron. "'Doris is all right,' said Mrs. Wilde. "'Shake hands with the ladies, Aurelia.' "'Aurelia performed the ceremony "'with a self-assurance quite remarkable. "'I've been watching the bump on Doris's forehead,' said Aurelia. "'It's as big as a butternut and most is black.' "'Hush!' said her mother. People are always bumping their heads against shelves and the edges of doors. It ain't anything at all. Well, we must be going, said Mrs. Meldon. After a few weeks, Mrs. Wilde, you must come up and see how the portrait is getting on. The ladies left smilingly, not daring to ask to see the orphan girl, for there was something militant about the atmosphere of their hostess. They consoled themselves, however, with the knowledge that the object of their call had been attained. One didn't need eyes to see through a board to know that that poor young one wasn't pushed headlong because she couldn't open that door, declared Miss Graves. Yes, I felt the same way, replied Mrs. Meldon, and it made me all the more determined to carry our point. The child will probably have to do double work to get off, went on Miss Graves. But I shall try to make it so pleasant for her that she won't mind, said Mrs. Meldon cheerily. Doris, with her aching head bound up by Grandma's sympathetic hands, was scrubbing the milk room floor when Mrs. Wilde reappeared, torn between joy and anger. Now, this is what I get by your singing in church, she said to Doris. I shut you up once, but I suppose after I went out on account of the heat, "'You tuned up again, didn't you?' "'Really, Mrs. Wilde, it didn't seem to me wrong to sing in church, "'and the last hymn was one my mother and I loved very much. "'Why, what has happened?' "'Enough,' I should think. "'What those people can see in your little piping voice I can't make out. "'But here comes Mrs. Meldon, whose mother was an archer, "'and says her husband, who is the organist to St. Margaret's, "'wants you in the junior choir.' "'You'll look pretty in it, won't you? "'If really looked like you, "'I'd keep her locked up in a dark closet.' "'Doris was so overcome by amazement at the wonderful news "'that she hardly felt the sting of the last words. "'But you did not need to say I could go, did you, Mrs. Wild?' "'She asked hopelessly, and yet with a strange thrill "'as if something wonderful had occurred.' "'Yes, I did,' snapped her mistress. "'I had to. "'Mrs. Meldon's sister wants to borrow Aurelia "'to paint her portrait for an exhibition. "'She didn't say nothing about painting yours, "'but everybody knows that that church choir "'is the apple of the Meldon family's eyes, "'and the sister said that she would do the portrait "'if her brother might have you for the choir.' "'It's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard of, "'sitting you up there before the whole congregation. "'But I tell you, you'll have to get up an hour earlier on Saturdays, "'besides working late every Friday night, too.'" Tears were rolling over the cheeks of Doris, tears of wonder and joy, but Mrs. Wilde did not see them, for she had turned on an irate heel to talk it all over with her mother. I must say, said Grandma unwisely, that I'm very glad of it. I'm willing to work extra myself to help the child get off. Well, I'd like to know, grumbled Abigail, what it is about that homely brat that makes you and Thad and really take such a shine to her. I don't believe myself in allowing servants to step out of their places. Doris forgot the pain in her head her red and smarting hands, and the toil of bent back and tired knees. It's the house of love, the house of love, she was jubilantly declaring to herself, almost singing it. And I know that everyone can praise God who lives in that house. There is nobody who can really keep one from singing who lives there. End of chapter 5, The Conspiracy Read by Christina Doherty. April fifteenth, two thousand and twenty two.